The Crossman Conversation brought to you today by Community Legal Services, Maynard Cooper, Frontier Partners, by Crossmark Services, and Roto Speaks. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Hey, um, real quick, Mike. Hey, how are you, John? I'm doing good, buddy. Before we get started, I got a quick story for you. Is that okay? Are you okay? Are you okay with that? Bring it on. Okay. Well, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I love... Florida A&M University. I don't know if you know that. I did know that. I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan. Right. And so I go to these board meetings. I sit on the foundation board. And when I go to the board meetings, I quickly realize... I am the dumbest, ugliest, poorest guy in <laughs> no, the room. I don't know where they get these no. Mensa candidate model millionaires on this board, <laughs> but every person on this board is like the most ridiculously impressive person ever meet. So I'm on this board and I'm sitting by this beautiful woman. I don't know what business she's talking to me, this lady. And she asked me, she asked me some advice and she wants to meet and she's telling me she's got this book coming out. And it sounds amazing. And so she asked me some thoughts on it. And I, of course, looked at it. And I'm like, this book is amazing. She's amazing. She's a fam. You in everything above. Would you believe she's our guest today, Mike? Unbelievable. Lenitra King, are you there? Are you here? Are you there, Lenitra? Are you there? Yes. Yes. Good morning. I am here. (laughs) Well, hello. And thank you for being on the show. And you are the CEO and founder of Watch Me Excel, a leadership development firm. That's pretty cool. Yes, yes. I'm so excited about the work that I'm doing now, you know, and getting to run my own company, uh, especially at this phase, because I, you know, I think you know this, John, that I spent uh, my entire career in the healthcare industry. And Mm -hmm. the last 15 of those years, I was in senior executive roles in hospitals around the country. So I essentially took everything that I absolutely loved about healthcare and about being a senior level executive in the C-suite, and I brought it to running my own company. So that's what I'm doing these days. That's a big deal. So you went from being in this high corporate structure in that world, moving Mm -hmm. over into a high entrepreneurial structure. And so that's the dream of a lot of people, but not many people can figure it out. So you're doing it. How, How does that feel? You know what? Some days it's amazing, and other days I'm like, what the heck am I doing with my life? (laughs) Honestly, you know, it's not always as easy as they make it seem on the Internet, that's for sure. (laughs) But I love it. I love it. It is. um, I get to do great work uh, with lots of different people, lots of different organizations, really advocating for the things that I'm passionate about, which is um, leadership equity, for one. And when I talk about leadership equity, it really is. Uh, diversifying leadership teams and making sure that people of color and those from marginalized populations have access to opportunities, especially going up to the C-suite. So love doing that. Um, I get to do all the things that um, I just love to do, which is volunteering in the community, uh, being a family person. You know, my family is so important to me. So I feel like I now have the time to focus on those things. And I get to push my book. <laughs> uh, oh, so you have a book. Do you? Oh, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about the book. Of course, we're going to talk about the book. Uh, well, let me go back and talk about the work you're doing. You know, here's the thing is, you know, people that know me, I, this is one of the things I say very often is that diversity is not about lowering the bar. That's not what it's about. It's about widening the net. You know, it's like, 
right. you want the right. best players on your team. You know, I, the thing I was referenced the the 1965 University of Alabama football team was not the best representative of the athletes in their state. I mean, they had white defensive backs. That's a joke. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Um, but, but, but it's true. But, um, you know, but the 19... 19- you still grew up in Alabama, right? Yes, I know. You know that's, that? it's, yes, that's why I'm bringing it up. So, you know, so when, the, so when the University of Alabama football team became diverse, it didn't become a worse football team. It became a better football team, right? So it's not in anything that you're doing by saying, hey, your leadership team, think about it being more diverse. It's not lowering it. It's improving it, Right. And, and by the right. way, if you're a company that's interacting with the public, you know, it gives you more insight on, you know, communication. I always think about, remember uh, in the 70s, you're too young to remember this, but Mike remembers this when uh, the car came out, the Nova. Oh, which in, the which Chevy is, Nova. The Chevy Nova. Yeah. In Spanish, that means no go, right? And so... <laughs> I never knew that. No, and it's, a, it's true. And, and it, it was a flop of a car, but like yes. nobody in that boardroom spoke Spanish, was able to say, guys, this is a terrible name for a car. You're naming the car no-go. That's not going to sell in certain parts of the country. Well, there you go. There you go. So, so, so anyway, am I getting this right, that that's, that's what you're trying, to, you're trying to help with? Absolutely. And it's more about how can leadership teams and especially C-suites at the very top of organizations really reflect not only the workforce, but also the community it serves and the customers. And how can uh, organizations, senior executives make better decisions because they have different people sitting at the table, people who bring different experiences, people who come from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, because people have different perspectives, right? And they're bringing those deep and rich perspectives to decisions, to conversations. And uh, that is what the beauty of diversity, inclusion, and equality really is about, is having those diverse perspectives at the table so that you're representative representative of all the people that you're serving. You know, it's funny. Whenever you say that, what jumps to from my mind is Florida A&M College of Law, which is the most diverse law school in America. And it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. roughly a half black, roughly a quarter Hispanic, roughly a quarter white. You know, listen, in that law school, there are Trump supporters, there are DeSantis supporters, there are Biden supporters, mm-hmm. there's a conservative. Mm-hmm. Diversity is diversity. It's it's meaning all thought, like there's all kinds of thought. That's like trying to get through. I met a very old school uh, lawyer, and he told me that he only hires from Florida and Florida State. And I was like, and he's in Orlando, and I'm like, well, what about Florida A&M? And he goes, oh, no, no, I only recruit from those two schools. And I'm like, well, here's the problem. Like, you, you'll drive four hours and two hours. You won't go four blocks. And he was like, nope. Well, let me tell you a story. There are there are many times there's an example of a woman. Maybe she gets out of college and she starts a family and, you know, but she always dreamed to go to law school. And now she's like 47 and she goes to law school and now she's an attorney, right? She's not going to go to Florida, Florida State. You know, FAMU is the one that gives her that opportunity, right? Right. And right. But but if you're a law firm and you're going in front of juries and you have your your you know your your clients and then the juries, to your point, if you don't have people that look and are connect with the juries and your clients, right? So maybe maybe the best person to have is a fifty year old woman as an attorney who's who maybe was working as a waitress mm-hmm. at Red Lobster. Maybe that person and they're just as smart as somebody else. But the kid that went right. from a private school to UF to UF law school and they're twenty four years old. I don't know that they necessarily have the life experience to be able to do all the jobs needed. Am I making sense? Am I connecting those dots properly in my head? Absolutely. 
you're absolutely connecting the dots. And you know what? I feel like there's a place for everyone. There's a place for that 24-year-old who, you know, graduated from uh, UF, who went to private schools all of his life or her life. But then there's also a place for everyone else. That's not everyone else's story. So how do you get equal access to people from, again, marginalized communities, people from underrepresented populations who have historically been shut out of those opportunities. So that's really the work that I do is um, opening up people's minds so that they can open up the aperture for those opportunities. And again, have a C-suite that is very diverse, but not just diverse. It's also about a culture of belonging, because I don't want people to think about checking the boxes you know, and just bringing people to the table who are different, but you're still doing the same old thing, you know, different day, is how do you create this culture of inclusion and also belonging so that you can not only recruit the best and brightest, but you can keep the best and brightest. That's so cool. You know, Mike and I uh, talk about this. Well, first, let me say this. You know, Mike and I have a very similar cultural worldview on a lot of things. I mean, probably like 95% of the time or higher, we're on the same page. But every once uh-huh. in a while, we're not, and he coaches me, and he'll say, hey, John, he'll give me a perspective, like, hey, how you said that, maybe that might be a little offensive, or that might not come across the right way, and I'm like, and so Mike gives me perspective, and that's helpful, you know? And then the second thing I think about that we talk about is, like, uh, the, the phraseology a few years ago was tolerance, right? We, we need to be tolerant. And every time I hear that, it doesn't hit my ear well, because I don't want to tolerate people. I want to love people. I want to love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I want to love... My enemy, like I'm, um, we were just talking about this around the mount today, Mike, but I was trying to figure out like, how do I love these people that are very different from me? Right. And so mm-hmm. when you have a workplace mm-hmm. environment to be loving to people, and it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we agree that it's not an endorsement of different whatever, but it's trying to bring that to a place. And you're saying, and I think even this is a wink to profitability. If you keep your high performing people longer, you're even more profitable, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's data out there that really support that, that uh, those companies and organizations that are diverse, especially at the top, they outperform their competitors. So, you know what, when everyone is looking for the business case around diversity, you can speak to that. You know, diverse companies absolutely outperform their competitors financially. So um, that's so important. And especially these days when, uh, you know, many companies are dealing with challenges post-COVID and trying to restructure and realign. Well, you know what? Get you a diverse team that is reflective of your community, that's reflective of your workforce, and look at how much better you will perform. Because, Going back to the earlier comment that you made about this Chevy Nova, I think that's what it is. Right. Like, I don't even remember the Nova. <laughs> You're too young. Um, <laughs> that's a blessing. It's a blessing. <laughs> Forget about it. Yes. Uh, but that's what it's about is you can have other people around the table who are helping you with their perspectives so that you can make better business decisions. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. Um, and we're going to, when we come okay. back, I wanna, we're going to just talk all about your book. I want to hear all about your book. The Yay! thing I want, yeah, the thing I want to say, okay. oh, it's so exciting. The thing I want to say, though, because I want my listeners here, is that you know I'm I'm a devout capitalist. That's one of the many things I define myself. I strongly believe in capitalism in so many ways. And what I want people to hear from just my perspective, I believe in diversity. I believe in all the things we're talking about, driven core by my faith, and it completely aligns with my capitalistic work worldview. Like if somebody says to me, "I want to have a super profitable company," I'm like, "Hey." 
This is what we're talking about. It, it, it is about right. profitability. So anyway, with that thought, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with my buddy, Lenitra King, and we're going to talk about her book. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day-to-day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. Community Legal Services is a civil legal aid organization providing no-cost legal help to the underserved. They call it Legal Aid for All. Their attorneys assist with legal issues related to family law, housing, domestic violence, veterans' benefits, and much more. Community Legal Services is a community-supported program. To learn more and help support the mission, visit clsmf.org. That's clsmf.org. Community Legal Services. Legal Aid for All. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. Are you willing to serve communities in crisis around the world to people who are impoverished, oppressed, and persecuted? Frontier Partners International offers mission opportunities in areas least served to meet the needs of the helpless, hapless, and hopeless, and is currently serving earthquake survivors in Syria. Share the love and joy of Christ and give the gift of a hope-filled future to someone in desperate need. Learn more at FrontierPartners.org. That's FrontierPartners.org. Once again, here is John Crossman. And we are back. This is John Crossman with my friend, my fellow fam Ewan, my foundation board member, my com- contemporary, except she's better than me in every way, uh, Lenitra King. <laughs> and we're talking about now your book. Talk about this book that just came out. Walk me through this. Yes. So my book is called Unwritten Insights, a career playbook for leaders of color. And I'm so excited about this book because, you know, people ask me, well, why did you write this book and what inspired you to write the book? And I will tell you, you know, coming from my background. So I grew up in Alabama, a single parent household. My grandmother uh, really helped to raise us and first generation college student went to FAMU. Uh, FAMU absolutely changed the career trajectory of the entire trajectory of my life going into healthcare. uh, So I went into healthcare administration after graduate school. 
And I will tell you, I had many, many challenges, but I also had significant successes. And this book is really all the things that I wish I knew when I started out my healthcare leadership career. Many of those environments that I was in, a couple of times in the C-suite, I was the only black woman there. And it's challenging. Um, But even though I had many people who were very, very supportive of me, people who poured and invested in me so that I could continue to grow in my career, it was still a challenge, right? Because sometimes you look around and there's not anybody else who looks like me. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I said, you know what, I want to take all the things that I loved about my career, all the things that um, I also had challenges in my career, and I wanted to see how I can help other people. So that's what really inspired the book. So the book is just full of things that I thought were important in terms of capabilities, competencies that people needed to advance their careers to the C-suite. And it had a particular bent around Black professionals, because I do feel like we have a very different experience, um, for the most part, in corporate environments. And these are the things that I wish I knew. So it's everything from, you know, how do you develop your personal brand? You know, I'm sure you've heard a lot about personal branding and having your own brand, but it's also things like how do you navigate corporate politics and how do you move through organizations really understanding the nuances so that you can thrive and do all the things that you want to do. Um, It's also about how do you get access to people who will not only mentor you, but sponsor you, which is a totally uh, different concept to them mentoring. So again, it's really all about Uh, taking the things that I learned from my successful career and really helping that next generation, helping people who want to um, get to the C-suite and giving them the tools, the playbook, uh, the toolkit that they need for them to be successful. Um, But, you know, one of the things which I, I feel like will really resonate with you, John, is I don't just get into those things. I really talk about what's the environment that leaders of color are facing? Um, What does that look like in organizations? Um, So what's the business case, if you will? What's the business imperative around focusing on this? And then I talk about all the things that uh, you need to know in terms of being successful. So that's what the book is about. And I love it. And I'm so glad I wrote it. And Woo! <laughs> what a project. <laughs> no, listen, I love it. Because here's the thing. I meet people and, and they'll write a book and I'm like, uh, you know, who's your target audience? And they'll say everyone. And I'm like, oh, okay, three-year-olds, right. 90-year-olds, what are you talking about? Uh, or like, why you write it? Well, you know, I just, uh, I want to share my story. Well, you know, most stories aren't that good, right? Like, so when I hear you <laughs> saying this, like, I'm just being real. Um, when I hear you saying it, like what you've provided is a tool. Like it's a tool. And the the second part is, it's like, you know, you have this target audience. I hear what you're saying. I recommend your book to every old white male CEO like me, uh, because to me, it also can help give you a perspective as far as if you're mentoring or you're thinking about diversity, it's, yeah. it's that insight. So, so let me tell you this story. And this is like my recent perspective on everything you just said. So I was at a conference in Brooklyn, uh, with Malik Yoba and so mm-hmm. I spoke and then, and by the way, it was, it was like 400 people. It was an all black audience. I was the one uh, white guy in the room story of my life. And so then they had a panel and then the next speaker was the mayor of New York city. So it was pretty cool. But the panel in the middle was a group of black women and they were all talking to their perspectives. And one of the black women on that panel 
is a friend of mine and a group of us went to dinner that night. So she was sitting beside me and I said to her, I said, um, you know, cause she's in my business. And I said, I see you at a lot of conferences. We're a lot of the same places. I said, how do white men treat you? And she looked at me and she goes, John, I feel like most of them kind of tolerate me. And it just mm. broke my heart because I feel about her like I feel about you. Like I see her, I see you. I'm like, oh, it's my buddy. And to think that mm-hmm. she feels that way. So <laughs> the next week, I'm lecturing at a conference in Toronto, right? Now, this mm-hmm. now this group I'm talking to is all white people. And okay. the next conference at that was in Las Vegas. And so I knew all these people were going to be in this conference in Las Vegas. But I'm not going to this conference in Las Vegas. Instead, I'm sending Flavia, who works for me, who's a young black woman, who's my vice president, who I want to lead the company someday. And uh, Flavia uh, is a FAMU grad. So I sit, I tell the audience this story and I say, hey, audience, will you please don't tolerate Flavia when you see her in Las Vegas? I want you to love her and be kind to her. Can you really mm-hmm. work on that? So anyway, so she goes to Las Vegas and um, uh, she has a great time and she texts me. She's like, oh, you're so nice. They're so loving. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a victory. And so then my buddy who was out there, who's a, a my age, I said, oh, did you see Flavia? And he goes, yeah, she did great. And I said, well, how did it go? He goes, oh, I had to stop a couple of guys from you know hitting on her. And I'm like, guys, I want you to love her, not try to make love to her. <laughs> like, 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 we kind of flew far the other way, you know, like... Uh, so there's a lot in what I just said, right? It's like, and there's mm-hmm. different dynamics. Mm-hmm. I know like, you know, Mike and I sit in a world that we want to be kind to people, but you don't want to ever come across flirtatious, right? So you want to be inclusive, but you want to be appropriate. And all that's a, all that's a thing, right? And all that's a thing. Right. I think we're getting better as a society and as a community, but we have to be intentional. Does that make we sense? We have to be Yes, yes. And I love what you said. You have to be intentional and you have to, you know, just think about how you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Right. But think about people who are different from you and how you can create that environment that really is going to show them that they're valued, they're respected and that their expertise is not just tolerated, but their expertise can be celebrated, mm-hmm. right? And so those are the things that I like to talk to audiences about is, uh, and that's, that's not every organization. That's not every audience that's going to treat you that way. And so that's another impetus for my book is how do you figure that out? And how do you move and navigate in those organizations where there might be microaggressions or there may be toxicity or there may be some other things going on? And this is where you desire to be because you want to be successful, you know, at your job and at your organization. Well, how do you figure out those things and what do you do and how do you how do you navigate? Well, I got to imagine some situations like the person that ends up being your ally at work may not look mm-hmm. like who you thought they would look like, right? Mm-hmm. Like they may, right. They, right. they may be kind of grumpy. They may vote differently than you vote. They may whatever, whatever, but they actually may be the best ally you have, right? And, and just because somebody looks like you and they're nice to you doesn't mean that they're the best helper and somebody that's grumpy and a little gruff doesn't mean they're, you know, so all that nuanced stuff, that's, that's part of what you teach and train, right? Because it's complicated. Right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, oftentimes in my career, um, I've had, you know, many, many people who were mentors for me. I've also had a number of people, not nearly as many sponsors, 
but most of my sponsors didn't look like me Mm -hmm. because, again, going back to, you know, my early story in terms of my career and where I was and the types of environments and organizations where I worked, there weren't a lot of people in the C-suite who looked like me. So who was left in terms of being my mentors and being my sponsors? And they were mostly people who did not look like me. And that's okay. Right. Like you don't absolutely have to have someone who looks like you to be an ally. You just need someone to be an ally and a champion for you who recognizes the value of your contributions, who recognizes what you are bringing to the table. And they're opening up the door for you. Steve Martin, the comedian, was in an interview and they asked him, um, how do you make it in show business? And he said when he gets asked Mm -hmm. that question, his answer is be so great they can't ignore you. And he said, you know, people you know, will say, oh, help me find an agent whenever he's going to he starts focusing on getting a, getting the job done and being great. And then, you know, I think like attracts like. And when you're a producer getting things done, there's going to be people that be, you become aware of and need to work with those people. Um, we're going to need to wrap up. Um, I want you to know I'm so grateful you're my friend. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing. And, and, I, and I encourage CEOs and business leaders, rising CEOs, that this, this be a book you put on your list, man, because it's a good perspective. Yeah. It's a good read. And um, I think it'll be helpful. I mean, again, you have a target audience. And I'm just saying, I think there's a broader audience that would, that would appreciate the perspective. Because I think if you're like an old grumpy white CEO like me, you might read it and then reach out and hire you as a consultant to say, hey, I'm trying to figure this out better. And you could help out in that situation, correct? Absolutely. You know, so I have my target audience, John, which you taught me very well. You're one of the first people that I talked to about this audience in terms of, you know, have a target, have a niche because you can't talk to everyone. So thank you so much. And I I get to say that publicly. Um, But yes, it's also for people who are not people of color. It's also for people who are not from marginalized communities. Um, If you are a decision maker in an organization, if you're in the C-suite and you want to learn about the environment that your marginalized talent is going through, if you want to learn about the challenges and the barriers that we face from our perspective, this book is for you. If you want to figure out how can I be a more effective champion for people of color, for black professionals, for other marginalized talent in your organization, you want to read this book because it will give you tools on how to be a more effective and how to be a better sponsor so that you can achieve diversity, so that you can achieve inclusion, so that you can achieve belonging. So yes, the book, although technically not for everyone, you know, I do have that very target audience, but it's also for people who uh, want to make their organizations better. So yes, CEOs who are out there, uh, chief diversity officers, chief human resources officers, this book definitely is for you because it, it talks to you about how to recruit and how to retain uh, talent from uh, marginalized communities. I think your tagline should have been uh, the the book for old grumpy white men. Um, all right. With that, tell us the name of the book one last time. Tell us the name of the book. The book is called Unwritten Insights, a career playbook for leaders of color. Lenitra King, CEO and founder of WatchMixL, a leadership development firm. Thank you for being my friend and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. And I am so psyched about being your friend. You're the best. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Uh, This is the Crossman Conversation. As always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation. 
produced by Acrossman Career Builders, Mark Radio Production.